Father, we long to hear your voice, not just because you're big and powerful, but because we recognize that you are love, and that your love is that river of life that quenches the thirst of our souls. And we're longing to be satisfied by a love that is beyond measure this morning. Lord, would you pour out your Holy Spirit, help us to see the gift you want to give us to drink freely from who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. It was the roaring 20s. John Griffith was a young businessman. He himself was in his 20s, and he was hoping for a very successful career. He lived in Oklahoma. Things were going well for him, but as you know that towards the end of the 20s, something happened. What happened in 1929? The Great Depression, the stock market crash, and everything fell apart for John Griffith. He felt like he had lost everything that he'd been working for, everything that he'd been hoping for. But he decided to keep on because he had something in his life that gave him some hope. He was married, and that was one part of it, but they had been blessed with a little baby. And those of you who know what it's like to have a brand new baby, we have uh, Lauren here this morning with Matthias for the first time. We praise God for that new gift of life. There's something special about holding a new baby in your arms and knowing the life promise that's there. And there's something that wells up inside of a parent, something of love, something of a desire to, to protect, to provide, to be there for that child. And that's what happened for David. He looked around for any job he could get. He ended up finding a job on the Mississippi River at a drawbridge where he would operate the drawbridge. The trains would come by and he'd put the bridge down. Then ships would come up that are too big to fit under the bridge and so he'd put the drawbridge up. He went from being this successful man hoping to make it big to being a simple drawbridge operator. But he had hope because he had a child. That's kind of what we've been finding in the story in Genesis chapter 21, where we read a few weeks ago about Abraham and Sarah who had had their hopes dashed again and again and who had been hoping for a child. And then finally, you remember how much laughter was in that story? They had laughed at the fact that they were going to have a child. They'd laughed at the idea that God could still bless a 90-year-old and a 100-year-old with a child that seemed preposterous. And then when they had that child, you remember what Sarah said in Genesis chapter 21? You can pull out the pew Bible in front of you and follow along or follow along on the screen. Genesis chapter 21 and verse 6. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. This child that I hold in my arms has has made me laugh with the goodness of God. Laugh with the reality of who God is. A faithful, promise-keeping God, who comes through to those who are completely unworthy of him fulfilling their promises to him. Incredibly good news, but then the story continues. We stopped here in verse 7 actually, but let's go on to verse 8 where it talks about him being weaned. In verse 8 it says, so the child grew and was weaned. We're getting closer and closer to that day with Abby and, and Livy, but in the ancient Near East they say it was around the age of maybe three years old that a child was weaned, a little bit older than we do these days, maybe even up to five years old, some some scholars speculate with this specific one. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. Now you remember what the name Isaac means? Laughter, right? So laughter was weaned, there's a great feast, and suddenly 
there is a celebration for this child that makes a lot of people happy and two people not so happy. We read on in verse 9. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham. And the word here translated in the New King James Version is scoffing. But the word here is simply the same word that we've been reading, laughter. They see that Ishmael, who notice that he's not named here, it's just the son of Hagar the Egyptian. He wants to remind you that this is the son of, of the slave the, uh, to, to Abraham and Sarah. The, the son of that Egyptian woman who had become a part of uh, their, their household and who they had, in not trusting God to provide a child, they had had uh, a child with. And notice it's translated scoffing. Now this isn't totally improper. That word can be translated laughter. It can also be translated as to play. You remember when, or you may not remember, but when, when the Israelites built the golden calf. And it says that they built the golden calf and they rose up and it uses this same word and sometimes it translates it to play. They rose up to play around this, to scoff, to mock, to laugh. It can be used in various ways. And and I can understand a little bit what takes place right after this. Because, you know, this past week, Leah and I were at some required ministers meetings up at Mount Hermon. And they have child care during the meetings. And, and so Leah took our babies into the child care because they said, hey, there's toys there that you can, you can actively play with your children there. And she thought that would be a great idea. Get to distract the girls for a little bit. And, and Ishmael at this point would have been about, he was... Uh, I don't know, we're not sure the exact age, but maybe 17 years old at this point. He was 14 years old when Isaac was born. So he's about 17 years old, let's say up to maybe 20, but probably 17 years old. Here he is playing, laughing with Isaac in a way that we're going to find out Sarah is not comfortable with. And and Leah takes the girls to this room and she, she knew that there were these baby strollers there and she sends me back this photo, that I, or this video, that I thought would be of them pushing strollers around because they love to push things but this is the video she sent back and this isn't this isn't in fast forward motion like the drone video i showed earlier and and she said this is when they were calm and when they were running slowly with our children around the room she said literally when she brought them in they were just mobbing the the our babies they were playing with them and she'd have to keep saying oh okay let's just give them a little space let's just let's just let them have a little bit of space you know there's something that well up inside of a parent when you see your little child being treated in a way that you're concerned about. And we become very protective over children. We love our children. We want to do everything possible to protect our children. And this is exactly how Sarah feels when she sees Ishmael doing this. And, and Galatians gives us a picture of, of what was taking place, this scoffing, this laughter. Paul commentating on that in Galatians 4 verse 29 says, but as he who was born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. So it's saying that, that Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. So it gives us a little fuller picture that, that what was happening was that he wasn't just laughing, like it wasn't all fun and games. He wasn't just playing in a, in a congenial way, but there was something, uh, unfriendly happening here he was persecuting Isaac so we continue reading in Genesis chapter 21 verse 10 therefore Sarah said to Abraham cast out this bondwoman her slave and her son for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with my son namely with Isaac 
Now, first we read this and they, oh man, that's really intense. That's really harsh. Just throw her out into the wilderness. I mean, what's she going to do? We have to understand that at this time, Ishmael is about 17 years old and it was not uncommon for that to be the time for the one who was not the heir to move out and to establish his own life. And, and so it's not totally out of character, but Abraham doesn't feel so positively about it. Verse 11, and the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. He was, he was very disturbed by this. This, this is Ishmael, my son, who, who I even said to God, well, let Ishmael live before you. If, if Isaac can't live before you, then, then at least let Ishmael be the heir. He had wanted, he was willing for Ishmael to be the heir in the end. Verse 12 continues, But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. God says, go ahead and send her out just like Sarah is saying. And God doesn't reprove Sarah here. God doesn't say Sarah's off her rocker here. And here we see that God has a respect for marriage and what it really should be. God has a respect for one man, one woman, and their marriage and their relationship. And God recognized that in this situation, terrible it was. It wasn't his plan to begin with. This, this wasn't option A, if you will, for what God wanted for their lives. But the best possible option at this point was for them to be sent out. And at first we think, well, well does God not care about Hagar? Because she's an Egyptian. She's not part of the Israelites, and so she's part of the out people, and God doesn't care about her. But if we remember that he's the God who sees, as Hagar once named him back in in. Genesis chapter 16. We should have hope as we read through this story. The fascinating thing is that the very next chapter, Abraham is told to do something very similar. Okay? And these two are tied together very clearly by the language. Here you have Abraham told to give up Ishmael, and he's so distraught by this idea of of letting Ishmael go. Fast forward another 10 to 20 years, and God shows up to Abraham and says to him, Then in Genesis 22, verse 2, Then he said, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. As a parent, I cringe at these two stories. I have to tell you that I don't like these two stories. As a parent, I I cannot fathom the angst that must have been in Abraham's heart with both of these experiences as he came to experience separation from his children. But these stories are tied together really closely. We see that, that first there comes the divine command. So we see here the stories of Ishmael and Isaac in Genesis 21 and Genesis chapter 22. First comes the divine command. And then immediately following that in Genesis chapter 21 with Ishmael, it says, Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. I'm going to bless Ishmael. You may be sending him out from your camp, but I'm going to be with him. I'm going to bless him. I'm going to make a nation out of Ishmael. And then verse 14. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. 
Notice that Abraham is becoming more and more this father of faith that we look up to. His relationship with God is such that he is coming to trust. When God asks him to do something, he gets up early in the morning to do it. He says, I'm going to do that as soon as possible because I trust who you are. And that's exactly what happens in chapter 22. After God says, sacrifice Isaac up on the mountain, verse 3 says, So Abraham rose early in the morning. And saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. You know, the longer that you think about whether or not you should do what God has asked you to do, the harder it becomes to actually do it. But if you will simply step out and say, I've come to know and trust and love this God. And when I read here that He promises me a blessing when, when I treat the poor in this way. When He promises me a blessing when, when, when I, I don't bear, lie. When He promises me a blessing for honesty, for love, for these things. And you simply say, I'm just gonna step out trusting this God of love. I'm gonna move in the direction He's calling me to with the belief that he's going to give me the strength to do it, you'll find that it's way easier than contemplating, hmm, I wonder if God's right on this. I wonder if God's really thinking, if, if Abraham had waited until later in the day, Sarah would have talked him out of this, I believe, in Genesis chapter 22. So we see first comes the divine command. Then immediately after that comes Abraham's provision for the journey into the unknown. He does this for Hagar and Ishmael. He gives them a skin of water. He gives them bread, which encompasses more than just grain bread, but physical food. And then he gives, he, he prepares a donkey and the wood and everything for he and his servants to travel to sacrifice Isaac. So continuing the story of Genesis chapter 21, we see here that it says at the end of this, this verse, verse 14, then she, that being Hagar, departed and what does it say? Notice that. And wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now, back in Genesis chapter 16, she is set, she runs away from Abraham and Sarah and she runs out and she's running towards Egypt and we find her by a well and that's where God shows up to her. But in this story, she's running away with, with, she's been sent out with Ishmael and as she goes out, she's lost. The picture here isn't of her headed in a specific direction going, you would go from well to well in the wilderness. But this is saying she lost her way in the wilderness. Hagar and Ishmael are lost in the desert. And that's a big deal when all you have is one skin of water. Isaiah 53 uses the same word for, for wander. Isaiah 53 verse 6. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've missed the mark. Hagar's traveling from well to well with Ishmael. As they're traveling from well to well, all of a sudden they realize we should have reached the well by now and there's no well and we're in big trouble. It's kind of like our lives when we're headed off in a direction and, and, and Isaiah says we're like sheep that have gone astray. We've missed the mark. We've missed being with Jesus. But then it goes on to say we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There, there is a Savior when we wander from the way of life. There is a Savior when we, we wander into the way of selfishness, of looking out for our own interests rather than existing in selfless love like the God of the universe has designed us to exist. 
We find similar wording in Genesis, well, Genesis chapter 21 and verse 15 continues and it says, and the water in the skin was used up. So they're drinking their water. It's used up. There would have been gallons of water in this, but as they're traveling, they, they end up using up all the water. And she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. It's a hot day. She gives him at least a little bit of shade. And you think about it, Hagar must have been a really strong woman because here she has her 17-year-old son and he's the one that's wearing out first. And she's just like, okay, I'm just going to put my 17-year-old under the shade of this tree because he's exhausted. She's a tough woman. Verse 16, Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot, for she said to herself, Who's she talking to? She's talking to God? Okay, let's try it again. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot, for she said to herself, Who's she talking to? Yeah, she's talking to herself. She's not talking to God. She's saying to herself, let me not see the death of the boy. There's hopelessness here. She's saying to herself, reasoning in her own mind, okay, this is it. My son's going to die. I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to get far enough away to where I won't actually see him die. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. If only she had remembered the promises of God. I don't know if you're getting that from this story, but again and again, what caused problems for Abraham, what caused problems for Sarah, what causes problems for us, what caused problems for Hagar, is forgetting the promises of God. You remember back in Genesis chapter 16 and verse 10, it says, Then the angel of the Lord said to Hagar, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And went on to say, you have a son. You're going to name his name Ishmael, which means God hears. And then at the end of that, he says, Have I really seen the God who sees me? Such a beautiful picture of, of who God is. And yet just five chapters later, She's forgotten. She's talking to herself. She's weeping. She's not looking to the promise-fulfilling God with belief that He will save even in this situation. And maybe that's because they're in the wilderness, Hagar and Ishmael, because of what they've been doing. They were accepted back into this this family with Abraham and Sarah, and things were going okay up until jealousy arose. And they realized that they weren't the true heirs anymore. And Ishmael begins to scoff at Isaac. And they created this problem that led them into the wilderness. And sometimes when we get ourselves into a situation where we're in a world of hurt, we're in a world of pain, and we say, well, my mistakes got me here. My issue got me here. And so there's no way out. God's not going to rescue me. I deserve what I'm getting. Hagar might have been feeling that. Maybe that's what contributed to her hopelessness. But if you're feeling that way this morning, I have some really good news for you. God isn't concerned with helping you because of who you are. He's concerned with helping you because He's a God of infinite love who cares about every one of the 7 billion people on this planet incredibly much. Genesis. Chapter 22 and verse 10, we find that Isaac is on the same brink of death. And we're just skimming through that story today just to see the similarities here. You have Ishmael under a bush about to die. Isaac is on the altar, bound to the altar. And Abraham stretched out his knife 
and took the knife to slay his son. And here we find that friend of God who's actually trusting God when it makes no sense at all. He's moving forward just believing that that God is a God of love. And we know that because of what Hebrews chapter 11 says. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the, what does it say? Promises. Okay, so this tells us that Abraham's not forgetting the promises this time. He's remembering who God is. Offered up his only begotten son. That should trigger all kinds of things for a Christian. Of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. Through Isaac will come the promised Messiah. And then this verse. Concluding. So he's, he's reasoning as he's raising that knife about to put to death his son that he's waited for for 20 years that seemed impossible that he had at the years of age of 100 years old, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. He said, hey, I've never seen it before, but if God's telling me to put him to death, then he'll raise him from the dead. So we see that there's a divine command. There's Abraham's provision early in the morning. There's a son about to die. These stories are tied very closely together. And the very next thing we see is God stepping in in the midst of this huge trial in both of their lives. Hagar, in verse Gen- Genesis chapter 20, and verse 17, it says, and God heard the voice of, what does it say? The lad. God hears Ishmael's voice. And again, he's not named, it's not brought out, but his name means God hears. And, and so although his name is not named here, it's saying, hey, God heard the voice of Ishmael. God hears. And God hears your prayers when you feel like you're alone and thirsty and like there's no way forward. God hears. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Genesis chapter 22, Abraham has that knife raised. He's about to plunge it into Isaac. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the ladder, do anything for him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Now I know that you trust me to the nth degree. Now I know that you believe that I'm a God of love, and you're willing to give me even that which you hold most dear. But I really don't want you to do that. In fact, later on in Jeremiah, he says, it's never even entered into my mind that you would actually sacrifice your children on an altar to me. There, there are pagan religions that do that. And Abraham, you've seen that with other Canaanites. But I, what I want you to understand is that's not the God that I am. And Desire of Ages comments on that, that, that this was specifically to teach him that, that there is no offering big enough that Abraham could offer, even though it was his most treasured possession in order to gain the favor of God. Because he already had the favor of God. Because God already loved him. So we see there's a divine command, Abraham's provision, a son about to die, angel intervention that steps in, the angel of the Lord, the angel of God steps in, the messenger from, from the Lord. Then verse 21, chapter 21, verse 18, the message to Hagar is this, Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Hey, look, I promise... I'm going to, to continue what I promised to begin with. I am going to make Ishmael into a great nation. Chapter 22, the angel says to uh, 
Abraham about Isaac. Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. Your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Okay, so you see here that there's a promise that's given. Divine command, Abraham's provision, son about to die, angel intervention, and a promise of blessing. Now, now I think these parallels are here for a very specific reason that we're going to look at in just a moment. But this highlights how incredibly special Hagar and Ishmael are to God. Chapter 21 and verse 19, it goes on to say this. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So here's the question. Does this say that, that God made a well to spring up out of the earth? Does it say that, that God uh, dug a well for her? What takes place? What's the action that's taking place? God opened her eyes to see that there was something right there that she could go ahead and drink. What she needed was to have her eyes opened to the salvation that was already available to her and her family. Does that make sense? It's already provided. It's already there. She's looking for it and can't find it. But it is right there, right nearby. They just needed their eyes open. And then we find in Genesis 22 with Abraham, the angel, it says right after the angel appeared, then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham lifts up his eyes and he sees salvation has been provided. There's a ram provided for him in the bush. Salvation is provided. So we see a divine command, Abraham providing for this journey, a son about to die. We see an angel intervening, a promise of blessing, and their eyes are opened to see salvation. This is significant because, uh, well, go on in verse 20 of chapter 21. It says about Ishmael, so God was, what does it say? With the lad. And he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. In fact, it tells us that he ended up having 12 sons who became princes, who became, uh, the Ishmaelites came from them. And the Ishmaelites were the ones who were the traitors who were on their way to Egypt, who enabled Joseph to not be, die in that pit, but to be carried to Egypt and eventually for the salvation to come to all of Israel. The Ishmaelites are, are only referred to a couple times in the Bible, and only once are they referred to negatively. But notice, God was with the lad. We picture that, that Abraham is this special person. We picture that, that God was with Abraham and his children and the twelve tribes of Israel, that, that this is where God's focus was, because that's the story that we have in the Bible. That's, that's the salvation history that's recorded for us. But we looked at how the Philistines, it said that, that God brought them out just like he brought the uh, Israelites out of Egypt. We saw that just a few weeks ago in the, the message of the sea people. If you missed that, you can look online and on sermons on our website. You can find that sermon. But the sea people were brought out just like Israel out of captivity. Here it tells us that God was with Ishmael. And if you think about that, who Ishmael became, and who else on this planet looks to Ishmael and to Abraham as a great father of faith? Muslims. There's 1.9 billion or something like that Muslims on the planet. And they look to 
Ishmael. They look to Abraham. The story in the Quran is quite similar in parts. Abraham had uh, Ishmael through his servant Hagar. The same story. He was married to Sarah, but had Ishmael. And similar story that he gets sent out of the house. He's thirsty in the wilderness and God provides water for him in the wilderness. Could it be that although we look sometimes at Muslims as if they are our enemies, although we look at them as, as they are the, the bad guys in the situation, could it be that God has been working in their lives throughout salvation history? Could it be that God has been with them, that God is with them, that He is drawing them to Himself, and that He longs to show them, to open their eyes to a fountain that quenches their thirst? John chapter 8 and verse 56 says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. This is Jesus talking to the scribes and the Pharisees. And when he says this, they get really upset. They say, how in the world could he have seen that? What was he referring to? He's talking specifically about this opportunity where he sacrifices Isaac and he recognizes the divine sacrifice that would take place in giving of yourself in sacrificing your son. Could it be that Hagar too rejoiced to see Jesus' day and that she saw it and was glad? Is it possible that that Hagar saw the God who sees her and she recognized in that that there is a Savior, that her eyes were open to a well that quenches the thirsting of all souls on this planet? Friends, if you read the Bible... He's not an exclusive Savior. You read Romans chapter 1 and, and Paul's writing the Romans and he says, hey, look at throughout history, God has been known by His creation to everyone who's ever been born. Everyone has had the opportunity to know this God of love. Paul in Acts chapter 17, he, he goes to, to, to these idol-worshiping people and he says to them, Look, that shrine that you have set up to the unknown God, I'm here to tell you who you're worshiping in ignorance. Friends, as Christians, we need to have a lot less arrogance about who's following God and who's not following God. Because Paul says that that in their ignorance, they were worshiping an unknown God. And he says, let me explain who that is. He's the one that's given you rain. He's the one that's blessed you throughout your life. Let me explain who this God of love is. God was with Ishmael. And God is working in this planet in China where we see people dying from in, in our current news and maybe had never heard the name of Jesus. And yet, having known about a loving Savior through all that is revealed in creation, God is that good that He is at work in every person's life on the planet. And He's at work in your life, your neighbor's life, your friend's life. And He wants for you to be part of opening eyes to see this well of water that can quench the thirsting of every heart. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. Can you imagine what that drink was like? Thirsty, about to die, and they just guzzle this skin of water, fresh water. That's what God is longing to be to you and I. But I can't offer that to somebody else until I have come to taste and see for myself, like the Bible says, that God is good. Until I wake up in the morning thirsty myself and, and I am quenched by reading about a God of love that's revealed in this book. The God of love who cares more about me 
than about his own existence. The God of selfless love who laid down his life for me to provide salvation full and free. Because that's the picture here. She opened his, her eyes were open and she realized that, that salvation was already available. She didn't need to dig a well. She didn't need to do anything. She needed to drink. And in Revelation chapter 22, the revelator is told by the Spirit of God and the Spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. There's a fountain of life for absolutely every person on this planet. And you and I have the privilege of telling the world about this. You and I have the privilege of drinking deeply ourselves and getting to share with everybody that salvation is accomplished already. You have a God that you can know and love and in knowing Him, He'll transform your life to be a selfless person just like He is. Come, drink of the water of life freely without cost. Selected Messages, Volume 1, page 343, talking about this verse, commentary on it, says this, All that man can possibly do toward his own salvation is to accept the invitation. You know, I wish that I could share this with more of my Muslim friends. Because in their picture of what salvation works out to be, it's, it's a measure. Your good deeds are weighed against your bad deeds on a scale. And if your good deeds top out your bad deeds... You're going to make it. Otherwise, you're in trouble. That's not the picture of what God wants for our lives. Ephesians chapter 3 says that, Ephesians chapter 2 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But then it goes on to say, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's got a purpose and a plan for your life to selflessly love just like he loves. This goes on to say, No sin can be committed by man for which satisfaction has not been met on Calvary. Thus the cross in earnest appeals continually proffers to the sinner a thorough expiation. There is at one with God again. There is the hope of being united with God because it has already been accomplished for you. Whether you know it or not, whether you appreciate it or not, God has already accomplished this for you today. The question is, will we accept it? Will we appreciate what He has done for us? That day, John Griffith uh, was deciding his, his son had turned to be eight years old And he decided to take his son to the Mississippi River, to the drawbridge, and he said, you know what? I have hope again. My son and I, we're going to work together. And in working together, I believe that God is... Not God, that's not in the story specifically. But I believe that we're going to have a fun day together. He packed a lunch. He had this hopes, high hopes of a day together. Rather than telling you the rest of the story, I want to show you a summary of a film that was done in Czech uh, talking about this story. Now, it's, it's based on this true story. It's not a perfect representation of all that God has provided for us in Jesus. But it does give us a picture of the heart of love who chose to provide salvation for you and I, full and free. I don't know about you, but as a parent, that does something to me. 
I think of anybody who would have to face a choice like that, sacrificing your own child. I can't fathom it. But to know the reality that with God, it was a choice that Father and Son embraced wholeheartedly when they looked at you because of the love they had for you. The question is, do we want to embrace a God of love like that? John Griffith, after he put the bridge down and his son was killed by the gears on the bridge, it said that he was looking in the train windows and he watched people sitting there, eating their ice cream, drinking their sodas, and not recognizing the difference that he'd made in their lives, not recognizing the infinite sacrifice. And I don't want to go another day. I don't want to take another breath. I don't want to enjoy another bit of sunshine without giving thanks to the one who gave his life for me. See, it's not just about a father. And I I used to have a hard time understanding, well, God loving the world, he didn't have to come. The father didn't have to come himself, but it's harder to give up your own child. But it says this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, By this we know what love is like. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We know what love is because we see that there's a God who puts all others before himself to the extent of laying his life down. And he wants to instill that same love in you and I. And this morning, I just want to make a simple appeal. One, if you have never understood this before, I want to invite you to accept the gift that Jesus has given to you. It's full and free. We just need our eyes opened to drink from that fountain. And if you don't know fully what I'm talking about, it hasn't all made sense. I just want maybe you just to, to give God the opportunity to open your eyes more fully so that you really can drink. So that's the first opportunity I want you to, to have this morning. To say, God, open my eyes. I want Jesus. And maybe that's for the very first time. But maybe this morning, you've grown up all your life coming to this church and other church, and you've heard about Jesus. You knew about him dying on the cross. But, but maybe like Hagar and Abraham, you need to recognize in a more modern way the fact that God really loves you more than he loves himself. And you need to accept that love afresh today. I don't know where you're at on that spectrum of things, but I know that the water of life is available freely to you this morning. He's inviting you to a friendship, you and Jesus, and he's going to carry you through the desert places in your life, quenching the thirst of your heart if you will only enter into relationship with him. If you'll only open up this book every day and take time, to build a relationship with him, it will quench the thirst of your soul. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you that you didn't just care about Abraham. You cared about Hagar, a slave, an Egyptian woman who at that time would have been looked on as a nobody, but you stepped in for her and Ishmael in such a beautiful way. And thank you that None of us are too far from you. And none of us are even too close to you, but that you are giving us that invitation afresh 
to drink from the water of life freely. Not freely because it didn't cost. Because it cost you everything in coming and being born as a human and dying on the cross and giving yourself for us. But because it's absolutely free for us. We can offer nothing. But Lord, may it transform our lives like it did the woman on the train. May we live a new life in your strength and your power drinking deeply at the water of life. May we take in this story of love every day. May we open the Bible and read of a Savior who loves us and who has provided salvation full and free. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.